Welcome to Zero Ambitions podcast. This week, we have got with us Chris Stewart, the president of the Royal Incorporation of Architects in Scotland. Um, I'm also joined with Jeff and Dan. And hello, Chris, how are you? Hello, very well. Thank you, Sarah. And Dan. Yeah, lovely to meet you too. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. We, um, Chris and I met in person not that long ago um, on Shetland, um, of all places, which was quite an incredible experience. Very, very beautiful um, and very nice to be um, almost on a holiday meeting new people, but uh, sharing experiences and meeting um, people who are really testing what it means to have high performing buildings in extreme climatic situations. So that was that was really interesting. Um, but yeah, so Chris, you are the uh, newest president of the Royal Incorporation of Architects in Scotland. Would you like to tell us just a little bit about um, the decision that went into running for that role? So running for it. Um, the, my reasons for running for it was, um, well, I, 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 I was the chair of the RIS uh, Sustainable Working Group. So I've got like a quite a big um, background in ecological design. It's also like the previously chair and uh, director of the uh, um, Scottish Ecological Design Association. So I've got this kind of background in um, ecological design. Um, and when I was at the chair of um, a sustainable working group, we organized that differently to the other committees in the RIS in that um, we had no, uh, for, for example, we, have, we, had, uh, we still have um, over a hundred members on our committee, so it was a huge committee. Where normally committees are wow. perhaps ten to twelve people. Yeah. So, so we approached it quite differently. Um, I was not a member of RIS Council, although I was perhaps about ten years ago. So I wasn't really wasn't really involved in the the workings or the mechanics of the RIS. I am now, but you know, mm-hmm. but 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 I've, and I've only been in pl- position for three months. So uh, um, I didn't really know exactly what the RIS Council was doing, and we were felt almost quite separate. But it, but it intrigued people. We I was asked to I was asked to set up a sustainable working group originally by Robin Webster, who was the kind of president about two years ago, just just the predecessor of Christina. Mm-hmm. Um, so I set it up. I, I agreed, and I set it up, and I set it up that way in that we we, we had anybody anybody who wanted to join our committee could join. And we also had a lot of members who weren't RIS members. So we had we had general public, we had other other professionals. So it was quite different. And then and then and it, it seemed to have a lot of success. We we were getting we were getting quite a lot of things done. Um and they were so the RIS were a bit intrigued by the way we kind of like did it. And then um my I only had a, like a two-year period. We still had like you know a, we had to set up a remit, but it was only like a shortened period. So that was coming to an end. So I thought, well, I'll have a go at, um, and then people asked me to stand for the RIS president. So I did. So I, I, and so I put myself forward and, and I was lucky enough to win. So that was kind of like why. Um, that, was, that was kind of why, just to try out something, because we weren't, we, we, would, we thought we could get a bit further and we were doing things a bit differently. So, yeah. so, um, so that, that's what, what, I, what I did. Um, it's it's wonderful. Uh, just sorry for cutting off, but it's, it's wonderful to see people with your kind of background now um, getting into positions like that. I mean, it's, yes. it's unthinkable to me even a few years ago that that would have been the case. You know, um, I, we've always had this sense 
with um, the, some of these kinds of institutions, and I'm not talking about RIA specifically, um, that where green has been referenced for environmental reference has been considered almost as, as a on a palette that an architect could choose uh, rather than as an, an inherent part of, of, of all what we need to do with all buildings, you know. So it it's just seems to reflect, you know, at the, at the 11th hour, uh, a, uh, a, a change in tone. I hope that's the case anyway, especially with Christina as well before you, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, that kind of goes on to some of the other things that Sarah, this is very much, very much building on a new RIS, which has kind of gone from Robin to Christina and then to kind of myself. Um, so I'm building on what Christina's done. So that's really important. I mean, it's only two years I've got. I mean, you know, it, I, I don't really want to undo all the good things that Christina's done. I want to build on those so that we kind of keep growing. So that, so I'm very much doing that. I'm very like-minded with Christina's approach. So no Liz Trust style disruptive uh, approach. <laughs> no? No, none of that. Um, but Chris, that is really interesting. And to build on what you said, Jeff, as well, you what you said just now, Jeff, sort of almost arrested me in my tracks because I was like, what do, what do you mean it's it's great that this is like central to it? Because I'm almost forgetting that, oh no, this hasn't always been central. You know, and when I'm saying it, the sustainability, circular economy, all those principles that we talk about, um, you know, net zero goals and not net zero, zero carbon goals. Um, but yeah. Actually, let's take a moment to reflect the fact that, yeah, this is quite a big change over the last couple of years. And we're going to see the same sorts of change coming in the um, with the RIBA um, incumbent, who has uh, is also going to bring this sort of new agenda much more into the central um, activities. It's, it's always been there, but it's much, much more central. So, yeah, um, it is. It's great to see. It's really great to see. So can you talk a little bit more about building on Christina's work and what your intentions are? Yeah, I think I think it's also another big change. I mean, I've only been there three months, but another big change is there's a new new CEO um, brought in, Tamsa Thompson. Is, is about a year she's been there now, so I don't know if that's still new. I'm not quite sure, but, but she <laughs> brings a lot of change too, and that's one of the moves that, Christina did was kind of like slight, slight that slight reorganization and, and bringing a dynamic a, a personality such as Tamsi. So that that's that's having a big impact. Um, and Tamsi and Christina have been really kind to me over because I so like three months, but they've been mentoring me and helping me. So Christina's still very involved, you know, you know, so so they've been very helpful and the people at RS have been great. And um, and we're kind of finding there is this kind of like RIS kind of collective consciousness that we actually are all bouncing ideas off each other so we've quickly kind of like all in agreement with things but but i'm just picking up on the the things that they what what we're trying to do i suppose it's like um we we our kind of remit is to promote scottish architecture i suppose kind of at its core um um but you know we're trying to first of all i mean that perhaps sounds a bit kind of and bland or, or obvious but but it still is pretty much you know what we're kind of looking to do and just kind of yeah. raise, raise that awareness of Scottish architecture that, that it's got a lot of positive aspects to it you know it's it's really strong in, in ecological design and, and 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 the way we approach heritage and education so it's quite strong in these things so we're trying to build build on that strength and and and, and design's really important to us and be at the forefront of of that so so i mean i i realize that's a kind of obvious thing of course we should be doing that but we do we do have to keep reminding ourselves about that that's what we're kind of well, 
it's, it's not that obvious though. Like I think what Jeff was alluding to is institutional change is really difficult to instigate and to make actually real. Like you can you can have the list Liz Trust disruption, yeah. but like I mean the the changes that she enforced uh, they are going to be felt long because uh, of the Bank of England's measures, not because of anything she did apart from a calamity. But it sounds like what you're managing to do there is, you know, harness, well, the way the wind's blowing. Because yeah. we look, we say often, we look enviously north of the border from England, right. the the progress that you're making. And, man, if you're enabling or if you're getting this absolutely bedded into the institution itself, I mean, why don't I ask you, like, is that what you actually do feel like is happening? Like, is the change that significant or am I projecting what I want to happen onto it? I, no, I think it really, it really is because, and as I said, we've only been in three months, but now we're starting to talk about things. I've, I'm, like, for instance, we, we recently um, just approved, it's about to be relaunched a sustainability code. So we kind of put that to council to businesses, we partly renamed it because it had this awful name. And so we're just going to call it simply our sustainability code. And it's quite it's quite ahead of itself. And, and it's been it was published first in 1997. And each four or five years we refresh it, but it had this terrible title, and so no and nobody ever knew about it. And I did I did a survey, and this is when I was the um um convener of the sustainable working group. I did a survey, I, I traveled around all the all of Scotland, which I'm doing again, which is partly why we're up in kind of Shetland. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked everybody, and this is people that come up, came along to speak to us. I asked them, you know, what, first of all, how many people knew that, that the RIS had a sustainability code? It wasn't called that. I couldn't even know the title of it. It's just so terrible. And approximately, you know, just through a show of hands, and that was people that had come along to, to listen to it, sustainability, 2%, between 2 and 5% of wow. In the RS, just didn't knew that we actually had a code, so so we're we're just actually retitling that, just so it's got a simple title. It's just called the RI Sustainability Code. Bringing it up to date a bit and relaunching it, and it's, it's obviously based on um, whole or sustainable, you know, a whole lot of sustainable. I could go through it if you like, and I'll send you a kind of copy. But it's but it's 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 you know United Nations Sustainable Goals, all these kind of things. It's yeah. based on all and all the things you you would like to. It was written by Sandy Halliday, so I don't know if you know Sandy Halliday. Uh, yeah, she's amazing, yeah. yeah. She's amazing, and so she wrote that back in 1997, but nobody knows about it. So this is almost like, it's almost like daft that we've got these brilliant things that nobody knows about. So it's just actually just making people aware of these things is, 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 is the biggest thing I'm kind of trying to do. I think Sandy Sandy and Lace Howard, uh, the Delaware, were, for me, you know, so important in, in there's a project that we featured in our second issue, I think, our first UK edition, um, called Plumber's Wood, um, yeah. which was a which is passive house that that Sandy and Howard had had, uh, had designed. It's passive house, I think. It's, it's actually I think it's the one very beautiful, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's a mass timber passive house, and it was a really important one because um uh being and it still remains up to this point but there had been in, in the past this kind of um this seeming kind of tension between concepts like highly airtight insulated uh mechanically ventilated buildings um and uh and concepts of kind of more you know 
what were considered conceptually to be more ecological approaches to building in terms of materials and so on, as if never the twain shall meet, you know. Um, uh-huh. And so projects like that, I think, were very important in showing that you can actually reconcile the two, you know. Um, well, uh, the, well this down. is what I was going to kind of That's come right, back to, because when you said, Chris, that, you know, but first and foremost, you know, the role is to promote Scottish architecture. But I think what goes hand in hand with the maybe centering of zero carbon goals, sustainability, whatever we want to talk about it as, it's actually the approach to Scottish architecture that's what's really interesting, what's evolving there. Because what we, I think, learned when we went to Shetland was that there is a real engagement with the why these approaches are needed and and when you're in a an environmental situation where you must be robust in your testing of these things and your understanding of them um and you're really kind of testing those things and you get very literate in that then that's something that the rest of of us who are not maybe as exposed to certain climatic conditions just yet um can learn from and if you are out there sort of bringing these things more to the fore, like your sustainability code as well. And it's about getting out that best practice and promoting that approach, promoting that collaboration, getting in to the communities, dare I say it, and like pulling that information out and sharing it. That's what we have to see more of. And that's brilliant that that's, and I I have experienced that firsthand from both you and Christina. I can see you doing that. It's become more um, visible. And so I think that's a really exciting place to be it is really it is it is really tremendously exciting because we're kind of like seeing i mean we were up in um shetland and it was very much you know we had that uh, mantra that you know one one size does not fit all we kind of left with and and we kind of like exploring that idea elsewhere in scotland since then and and I, you mary are forster but you may be aware of this kind of uh scottish architect She's doing some amazing work in the west coast of Scotland, which are very much to do with landscape and how she settles her buildings into landscape. And that's that's been gathering a huge uh, following in uh, in Scotland at the moment. And she's published her own magazine called Alder, which everybody's buying and looking at. And but this idea of of, of a kind of Scottish architecture which settles into the into the into its context is uh, and is both beautiful at the same time. Is really gathering a lot of momentum, and those ideas are actually being looked at in our in our in our urban context as well now. So we had last week we had uh, Paul Stalin gave the talk um, to um, uh, the student awards, which we actually did here. At, at, I'm, I'm also a, a director at Collective Architecture as well, by the way. So, which is where I'm kind of sitting. Yeah, we should have mentioned that as well. <laughs> Yeah, which is a kind of 100% employee-owned company. So we kind of like very much bring a lot of those ideas to the fore as well. But Amazing. He was talking specifically about Glasgow and, and the context of Glasgow and how it's grown and having a knowledge of that helps him design in, in Glasgow uh, its history. And so it was almost like the same ideas that, that, that Mary, Arnold, Mary has, you know, in the west coast of Scotland and how she approaches her lifestyle uh, out there we're, we're actually being reflected in the kind of urban context of um of glasgow which is you know, which is our biggest city obviously um but but the, but the same ideas are now being said in all all the rural our towns are they seem to find be finding some common threads 
just some of the sort of thoughts that we're all having, which I think is really interesting. Um, when you mentioned collective, I just want to do a little shout out to James York. <laughs> yes. Because actually, the re- we could we could probably say it's due to James that we're sitting here talking today, Chris, because it was, let me think, it was COP26, ACAN were going up and we were running a replicating retrofit event. And James knew that we were coming up um, with ACAN. And he said, oh, if you're going to speak to anybody about retrofit in, in Scotland, you've got to contact this guy Duncan Smith right so I was like okay and invited Duncan along to our events and that was what became then the relationship where I joined the podcast here so uh yes can speak to collective architecture and your choice and excellent staff for, for connecting people up <laughs> yeah, James is in our he, he, he's in our Edinburgh office we've got an Edinburgh office as well so he he kind of works over there but but yeah that I mean that, that is what I kind of like have to do, but also what's a big part of what I've got to do at the RIS is 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 to our, is to support our membership and and we had a we had our uh, our convention uh, at the end of September there, which was in Inverness. So again, it was it was that kind of up north and values. I'll talk about this later, but but values was the theme, and so we were exploring what will be our values. Um, which is really important, but but also there's practical issues. So then we we actually like think about it's really important for for the RIS to create the environment for our members to thrive and so there's a lot of practical issues so albeit um we were talking a, a lot about Sarah Wigglesworth gave the most amazing speech ever at our convention and I've got her to send I could send it to you I've got a, I've got to issue a transcript of it to us she showed no slides at all but just stood and gave a speech for 30 minutes uh, and of course, as I said, and it's all about the, how we've got it. It was a call to arms, basically. So it was, it was, it was really quite incredible. I, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me sharing that with you, if you if you like. We're, I'm going to try. Please and get... do share it, and we can put it in the show notes if that's okay, Sarah. I'm listening. <laughs> I can I can ask her. Um, <laughs> but but it was amazing that we were talking about all these sort of great things. And um, but but we, but it kept coming back to just practical issues that we had to uh, tackle. And the biggest one that came to the fore was procurement and the way that work mm-hmm. is procured. So it's really important that we're tackling issues such as that. And CPD was another one, but procurement is probably was the highest, the the, the 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 most important issue that we have to tackle. So that's that's we're really looking to see how we can approach that and. Uh, 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 and think about you know good examples of procurement, bad examples of procurement, and start to bring bring these to the fore and, and start speaking about. Because previously we've we've tried to tackle these issues, but we've maybe um, need to be a bit more forthright, a bit more direct about that. And that's what we're yeah. membership's telling us that we have to start so that they are in a position to carry out all the things that we want. So we you know we want to achieve net zero carbon and uh, or or. Zero carbon, as I should say, yeah. actually, but 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 our but we obviously we need to be uh, create the environment that, that we're paid well and and the right people are getting the jobs. It was the same. We had the same question we put to the architects in Shetland when we spoke to them, and it's the same issues they were experiencing. Very similar issues. So it's across the whole. So we have to tackle. So that that so it's important that we tackle issues like that um, to create the environment that our architects can then thrive and and do all the good work that we're asking for. So that's really important. Well, surely, and this, um, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. But one of one of the elements here, Chris, uh, I, I expect is I expect this is part of your thinking is that 
procurement, whether it's, you know, for instance, in the context of, of energy retrofit works or whatever, um, there has to be a design element, right? Uh, there has to be, you know, you can't just hand that element over to the contractor and expect them to come up with um, the the right results. Notwithstanding the the, the, the liability issue, the, the, you know, the fact that uh, that you know there's a, they have a period of whatever, whatever it is a year or so after the works are, are done, whereby you know you can get there on the hook. But beyond that, uh, you're on your own. So having having a, a not just a designer, but I should say a competent designer, you know, having uh, architects, for instance, or who, who really know their onions from a building physics perspective too, you know, um, that's surely got to be a, a, an essential element to this. Yeah, no, I mean, that, I mean, that's what we do. That's the main thing we are, we're good at is designing. So we just, we have to kind of recognize that. I mean, that's what we've been trained to do. So, so I actually understand that, but yeah, it's, it's the quality quantity question um, has to be really looked at. I mean, you get that kind of the meat thing, which is like, mm. the, economically advantageous tender and that's as an approach to that if anything scotland's probably worst in the uk in that the the uh, uh, the option that they use to calculate it is such that the way the algorithm works is obviously like you've got 30 percent price you know they, they'll get they'll give the um highest tender 30 points and the lowest tender zero and of course that that has a massive effect on when you actually calculate so more or less cost it, everything's judged on cost and the quality of it element is actually irrelevant. So it's so, so there's different ways of doing that and Scotland actually uses the, the worst. So we're trying to point that out to the Scottish government. I think England's actually better. England actually approaches it in a, a lot better way than Scotland does incredibly. But but so simple things we can do to, to actually, uh, we were looking to you in that one rather than you. <laughs> My God, the English doing something right. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it's hard to believe. Uh, I'm, well, that's Sorry, just, go ahead. I think price wins, but that, but then, then, so, so it's not even any point in looking at quality because price is just always going to win. Um, and, um, but then if we can actually get that, that correct, so quality is winning, then we can look at what's actually, what is quality. You know, we actually come to actually make judgments on who's winning what tenders. So there's, there's a whole, the procurement's a huge issue and we have to tackle it. We have to tackle it. Um, so is this, so you're talking about, Significant changes that increase responsibility at all sorts of different levels, particularly where you're talking about quality. So are you receiving any resistance to any of this from your members? Because we've, we've put a very rosy uh, sheen on it, and surely there must be some dissenting voices, given the scale of inaction that we've had over the last 40, 30, 10, 5, 2 years. <laughs> no, they, our members are really asking us to take this issue on you know really encouraging us to take it on the role everyone i've spoken to it's yes about time because I, th- I think i think previously perhaps we've kind of like maybe held back being so direct that this is an issue and and um we've got to we've got to shout out more about it so no there might be some we don't know but but everybody i've spoken to really want us to tackle this because we're all we're all suffering from it so yeah, I mean, I suppose there must be some people who might might um, not win tenders if we actually start to approach it a different way. But um, but everybody we've spoken to actually want us to tackle it. So um, so yeah, man, if your members are supporting it, if it's what people are asking for, like, do you <laughs> do you have like a lot of direct engagement with your members on this? Like, are they able to influence how you're 
guiding things or are you taking very much that that uh, strong leadership role? Well, um, this probably, ta- you know, now, now we're into some of, some of the sort of actions that we're kind of um, um, looking at. And one of the big um, changes that's happening at, at the RIS, uh, which um, Christina will have um, instigated, is that you know we have we have a council, um, and but the the council have always some perhaps always got a bit kind of like uh, bogged down with uh, a lots of decisions that's got to make. So they'll be talking about the, perhaps the wrong things, um, um, just because of necessity. So we we are um, in the process of setting up a, what what's known as our membership forum. And we will now have a membership forum, which will happen every three months when all our membership are able to ask us direct questions, just to say, so So this will be, uh, I, this was something that Christina and, and, and the whole lot of other people like Robin and, and Richard and Karen all kind of set up, all, well, everybody kind of set up uh, prior to me getting involved. And I think it's a brilliant thing. So there will be a three monthly and, and council will be, dissolve and this and and there'll be trustees and this forum will more or less uh, tell us um, um, directly from the membership what we should be looking at and what we should be thinking about and what we should be doing Uh, and we've not quite got there because it's it's taken a bit longer to to get it in place and it has to has to actually because we've got a royal charter it has to go to the privy council and get approval and all these charter we're setting up so so it gets quite complicated um, but um, we're hoping to have the first one in the end of February uh, um, 2023. So we're just going about to like start to speak to our members exactly what, what would be the format of that, what will be. Chris, that's quite that's quite a significant. I mean, I, we're we're sort of having a lovely sort of flowing discussion, but actually, you just slipped in something pretty major there. Oh, you know, really? it's a really major change to think about. Oh yeah, no, we're going to wholesale change the kind of hierarchical top down. It'll go through the council. It'll go to whatever. Like to actually opening it up to a forum, yeah. you know, and changing that. And you even mentioned like, and it has to go to the privy council. And I remember when we talked about that in um, Shetland, I was like, the, the what now? Oh, because you've got a royal t- right. Okay, it's just sort of it. There's so many things that it's in, entangled with there that you're sort of leveling, which is also really big. Honestly, it's a huge change, but it's, it, I, my um, job is to make sure it happens uh, and um, and push it through. It, the ideas were all previously built up by my colleagues, and we all talk about sure. it. So, so it's something they've been talking about over the last two years, um, uh, right. mainly under Christina's uh, presidency, which I think is a brilliant thing. I think it's brilliant that this, this mm. that members can bring their. Uh, what they want to talk about, and we can talk about them at that. Obviously, there's the logistics of that, which is going to mm-hmm. be quite difficult. And you know how you know we've got to make sure that we're talking what we're talking about is what they want, and you know certain voices don't dominate, and everybody gets a chance to speak. And and what might it be? We we already know that we're going to um, we're going to have like four every quarter. So so the idea is that we we'll still have some three which are virtual because because it actually is helping us and well, that's not ideal we'd much rather they were in person but at the same time you know the people in Shetland if they yes. join a, 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 a Teams or a Zoom um, meeting whereas whereas it's you know to actually come and be in person but we by years we'll have one a year 
in person so we can all get together in the same location and, and, and the idea is that we'll kind of coordinate that with our convention where people would be gathering anyway so we can physically get together um, as well so 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 that's the way we're, we're, we're approaching it but then we have to work out how what the subjects are we going to talk about um, uh, how do we we don't know how many people will show up so how, how will we break up and need to break up rooms well to- I'd suggest the fact that you're exploring methods whereby you are facilitating better communication across the membership, it will in itself start to talk about or start to deliver insights into who is engaging and how many people will come because you're kind of opening up that door by changing the method of how does one reach into this institution. Um, You know, so I think it it will be an iterative evolving um, process of, of change that yeah. hopefully you would imagine will be engaged with because you're m- making it something that you can engage with, right? Well, change breeds change. And if yeah. people don't engage, you realise it's not what they want pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, def- we've defined all that out. But I mean, our membership are really encouraging of this approach. And as I say, it's, it's I can't take credit for it. It's something others have had ideas about and built up. And, but I, I have to implement it that's 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 my job so i've got to make sure it happens but this this also you know you say you've said twice now that you can't take um credit for it and i understand that you're trying to make sure that it's like i didn't just land in here with all these great ideas and it's not just about me i understand that but what we're actually talking about here is sort of looking after future generations and that's a big part of all of this work all of this um you know zero carbon futures is that so you're basically there was a good idea to open this floor up to the membership and then you start to build that sort of change and that openness and that collaboration you're putting in place those tools for the next and the next and the next generations of people to be able to talk so it's important that you do see it through but it's a sort of part of the rebuilding and, and structuring of something to allow engagement so that people have a voice because but what I know can speak as a small practice the reason that I got so heavily involved with ACAN, the reason that I got so involved with that sort of kind of activism side was because as a as a small practice, you feel really, really isolated. You might know a lot of architects, but frankly, it's so hard to find the time to put your energy and agency into doing anything about it on your own. You do need to find a place where you can collectively come together and build on each other's energy whatever you can add to it that's great but you feel like at least you're part of that movement for change so i, I think this sounds like it's it's the move in the right direction well, it'll be great and, and then we then we have to act on on the out, outputs from yeah. so so we kind of like then the rs have to go into like well what we've got to do we've got to have to act on them um yeah no no they it's really important um the future and and speaking to uh, young, our young members and, and newly qualified and, and, and students. We, again, I suppose I'll, I'll constantly talk to them, but, but it is strong. It's got really five strong schools of architecture. And they're all they're all really good. And we, we, did, we did have our student awards here last week. And, and so that's one good thing. And we're trying to get, get to visit every single one of them. Um, so myself and Christina did visit the SALA, which is the Edinburgh University, mm-hmm. not long ago. And we're already got appointments to Go and visit uh, Robert Gordon and Dundee mm-hmm. and Clyde and the Macintosh. So, so we will be visiting all of these and meeting the young students and, and people and trying trying to get to find out what they think. And and they, they do th- they, 
I said it's terrible. I mean, I feel come across a bit old now, but but they, I think the young people do think a bit differently, and and, okay. and and they obviously think a lot more fluidly. I think in terms of like the way they approach things, such as like social media and all that kind of stuff. And I think they have they have, they kind of like I find that really interesting whenever I speak to them, and because I always worry about things like the sense of because how do you how do you edit that? How do you kind of like not feel that like you're getting uh, you know, brainwashed by some of the things that come up, but but they seem to have like been able to sift this kind of information. It's just terrible. I'm talking about this as if it's different. But, no, but, but I think this is interesting because it does. I, I would like like to maybe go into somewhere what we hadn't maybe thought about talking about, which is okay. Scott, the 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 education sector and how they're we're talking about future generations and we're talking about um is the curriculum um, fit for purpose? And I think you probably will know Scott McCauley and the Anthropocene Architecture School. And they were, well, Scott's been on the podcast before, um, but it is very much about um, concerns that, you know, you mentioned that young people, the younger generations think differently about this. Well, they do because they're walking into a space where actually fundamentally everything is different when any one of us here graduated. not not saying that we're all ancient here or anything, but you know, um, the fact of the matter is that there is a real concern of the lack of readiness and appropriateness of the curriculum as it stands to actually address the issues that young graduates are facing. So, um, yeah, I don't really have a question around that, but more just like, well, I I wanted to ask, like, you I mean you're absolutely right. The kids can spell bullshit. And this is coming through in all sorts of different institutional capacities. Like post-global uh, financial crisis, there was the Manchester Economics Department that went through yes. its own tumult. And, and I'm just curious, like you, you've said, the industry's well keen to make a difference. You've talked about the positivity with the students. Like, are you able to help shift things within the curriculum? Mm. Like, because, that was kind of where, yeah. where we're going. Yeah. Well, I mean, this I'm I'm slightly regurgitating things Sarah said on other podcasts, to be fair, because she's been getting <laughs> stuck into it with an ACAM. <laughs> we love we love repetitive messaging though, Dan, don't we? That's what we're here to do. We've got to get the message repeated, repeated, repeated. But oh, yeah. It's much easier good. to do, yeah, from a podcast yeah. perspective. But it's yeah. it is a, it's a good question. I mean, that is the question, Dan, isn't it? It's like what impact could the RIAS or does the RIAS actually have? Well, over, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. learning outcomes and and uh yeah um well i think that they are but the learning outcomes probably do exist i i mean i have i did i did i was one of the external examiners at um in my university so i did for a while do that um and i professional practice was my kind of main field but i also used to sit in, in all the kind of design part but I, and and these outcomes I think they, they 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 do need strengthened, so they do need strengthened a bit, so that so that that, that uh, perhaps um, you know they look at sustainability a bit more. But it's, interestingly, I think the schools, well, the Scottish schools anyway, are um, starting to address it. So the when we had the student awards, which was only last week, it was there, there was I think mostly a lot of retrofit projects were actually winning. So the winners were projects which which are actually were looking at the reuse mm-hmm. of in the structural economy and they're the ones that kind of won through so that so i've seen big evidence in the what students projects are that were presented to us 
this year that perhaps are about three or four years ago. So they, 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 the schools are really picking it up on this in Scotland. I don't know if they, uh, if they are in, in England and Wales. I'm well, not sure. Yeah, yeah, we've got one of my colleagues in um, Heal in Home Energy Action Lab is also a tutor at the AA and the Bartlett. And she also, well, she is a retrofit proponent and advocate herself anyway as a tutor, but she is seeing that coming through in the students' projects as well. And she feels really like motivated, like that there's a sort of a, a, um, a perpetuating discussion happening that is breeding more interest in, in retrofits. So it's really important to see that happening. It, it really is happening. And I do know that you, know, you are getting kind of like retrofit um, courses and things are starting to appear at universities. I can't see whether the last one I think I saw was in, is it Robert Gordon in Aberdeen. I've now got a retrofit um, course. And um, so these things are starting to appear. So they, they, the changes are are happening and they are, they are, they are, the schools are reacting to these things. So all the things that Scott McCauley did with these Anthropocene um, you know, he's, he's had alternative studios and, and students could go along and present the work and they'd get like people like Sandy Halliday to maybe comment on, on um, you know, on the project when they pin them up. Yeah, I, I remember all that. And um, I, I, I know Scott very, very well. So, so I've, I've, I know the kind of things he's interested in. Um, so, yeah, that's it's starting to have an impact. So, but I don't know what the learning outcomes and whether that affects them. I know there's big changes, obviously, in the way we approach CPD and, and, and the, you know, the mandatory competencies that we architects are now having to address, and climate literacy is one of them. Um, um, so, I'm, I'm aware of all that. I, I can see Jeff's got his hand up. So, probably. No, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, a big issue for me is quantification of sustainability. Um, and uh, I mean, within that, I mean, everything from calculation and simulation up front founded on really good understanding of, of, of building physics um, uh, to post-occupancy, you know, hanging around after the building's finished, post-occupancy monitoring of how the building worked, the kind of the nerdy, what I'd call anarchy end of stuff. Um, whereas architecture, on the other hand, you know, might my conception, at least, of architecture has always been more the, the polo neck uh, wearing end of things. So, <laughs> how do how do you get people who who wear polo necks interested in wearing anoraks too? Basically, how do how do you how do you reconcile that? You know, and I know fashion wise, it might be a terrible clash anyway. But how how do you how do you make that work? You know, um, I think I'm just about grasping your metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it, uh, for me, it's probably interesting because I'm now I um, during lockdown I, I did the I'm now a passive house designer, so I'm also a passive house designer, and perhaps I would have been one that was just straight from too heavy in the metrics and the science. But I was being I've become quite convinced by by passive houses as being a good way forward, um, and also I've been doing a lot of work with um, on livable neighbourhoods for Glasgow City Council, which is a bit like twenty minute neighbourhoods. And, and trying to put together economic arguments, um, we, we bring in special kind of economists, and it's the way that they start to measure um, the and quantify how just people, you know, um, uh, cycling to work or, or walking to work or school children walk to work, and, and, and somehow finding that into a metric which how it affects the NHS. I find really kind of interesting and it seemed to be almost like a, a sexist. And I know that Sarah's interested in things like donut economics and et cetera. And so, 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 so I actually find the metrics really important now uh, to us actually realizing um, what perhaps might be the, the polonex stuff. 
So we actually do we do need the metrics now to actually sort of realize the, the polemic stuff. So it's, it's so it's becoming a really integral part of the way we kind of think. So so we realize our arguments are stronger. I don't know how a polemic wearer or an anorak wearer, by the way, but <laughs> but but um but I've got I think I've got a polemic on for this <laughs> this discussion. Um, so, but, but you, can't, you can't let the anoraks dom- completely dominate because then you'll produce, you know, buildings that that lots of people won't love. You know. Um, well, happy. I suppose, I suppose we, we actually did try to think about how you measure happiness for a while as well, and love and all that kind of stuff. And then we'll move into Maslow's kind of theories um, and, and and the like. So there are there are ways you can kind of go about kind of measuring hierarchy of needs and things like that. So there we're, are- we're talking about systems thinking here, really, aren't we? Because it's, um, I think we've, we've, we had gotten into a state where it was the either or, you know, are you an anorak or are you a polonek if we're going to go with that? Um, and we know that actually we we need all of it. We need We need the data, absolutely. We need to be really clear. We're talking about being um, as as smart and clever as possible with what we've got We've got to be, you know, we cannot afford to be wasteful. This kind of maybe segues into um, the talk we were uh, referring to about the circular economy. And it's those sorts of principles. Actually, I, I think the the data and the, the number crunching parts of it um, become another tool for backing up the creative reuse argument. And actually, as an architect, as a designer, as anybody who... Um, is creatively minded there hasn't we've said this before there has never been a more exciting time i think to be an architect that it's not about being unleashed do what you will big new shiny thing it's actually just changing your perspective and seeing like what's around us already because this is it this is our lot we can't be taken more we can't be you know continuing all the mining of of raw materials we cannot be continuing in that vein in that extractive destructive cycle we have got to be looking around at what we've got and changing how we think about the materials that we're specifying and the, the the uses of those buildings and all of that sort of stuff and how we're designing. Are we designing for being able to dismantle and deconstruct so that we can reconstruct in those sorts of ways rather than designing for, you know, use one and done, smash it to the ground, start again, get new raw material. So that's amazing. Like, it's an amazing place to start to think like, oh, wow, like such a creative challenge there. And that's what... We need to be really embedding in the um, curriculum, as we were talking earlier on, is like it's not about a shiny new building. It's about how you think that's that's what will bring really interesting, sustainable architecture. I, I think so, too. It's I think the two can go hand in hand because I think it's I mean, first of all, it's, it's just understanding that, you know, we're designing for the public, we're not designing for ourselves. And and and, and I think, you know, there's just ways of approaching and uh, um, almost like commonsensical way, uh, uh, way you look at design, which is what design really is. So that, you know, when you think about um, you know an existing building, um, it, it's been. It, 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 I also think about sustainable cult- culturally. I think the culture is a big part of sustainability as well. And I actually think when we actually think, start to preserve buildings and, and preserve what they mean to communities. They, we're really uh, um, working with them, and and they, they actually like uh, uh, encourage us to keep buildings whenever we start to talk about it. Um, um, so, um, so yeah, I think I think there's ways of bringing the Polonic and the Anorak together. So I don't know if that's some sort of like combined kind of like uh, um, garment of some some sort. <laughs> but, 
but it definitely is. I mean, when we even even as a as a as a when we, we talk about when we look at a passive house, we actually don't actually, and this is this is when we get taught it. You know, we, it's not purely just down to just form factor and. Um, and orientation, but but we will think about you know like well there's there's the view there's there's the view that's that's what we want so you really want a window to look at the view, uh, um, as opposed to just thinking about how much sunlight's coming into it or, or or how much sunlight you want to keep out of it, out of the building. So so things like that are really really kind of crucial, and I, I think they completely go hand in hand. Uh, uh, um, I I I I think there's a. Um, a, a they, they can be combined into something a lot, lot cleverer. It's just another kind of ingredient that we have to consider when we actually approach design. I mean, and it's not all about creating, as Sarah says, that brand new thing. It's actually, I think some of my favorite buildings are those that are actually existing buildings that have been quite clever about the way they've been refurbished or reused. And you get that kind of combination of old and new. It's much, it's much, much more exciting. You've, in your, when you've been talking now, you've just had me thinking about. Um, you know, cultural and social value of the buildings that we have, like maybe historically protected or historically valued. I'm really interested in the debate and the, and the discussion around value because um, we can kind of look around at those ones that we see to be in conservation areas or listed buildings or whatnot and immediately assign value to them because of what they look like or maybe what they mean in um, in our places. But actually, we have to start expanding um, what we what we think has value. You know, we have to change up that that bit about value, and and our homes and our neighbourhoods are have got to be a, a central focus of what we value. And so it's the work that we do to our neighbourhoods to secure them and maintain them and and regenerate them, not in the uh, gentrification regeneration term of course but in the okay where's the value here and it's with the the communities and it's with the people who live there and it's it's how we enhance those places that retrofit can really come into its own to not just think that oh you know what this this estate it wasn't really working let's just like plow it to the ground and then kick out all the social housing tenants and put in you know private housing and whatnot like this is where if we consider the broadest reach of retrofit it can brings so much like you were alluding to earlier on about how do we quantify the the relief to the health burden that retrofit can bring and all of those other things you know and making things local providing you know the jobs and the resources that we have locally and an understanding of what the needs are in that local area it, it's funny you start talking about value I, I'm, I'm gonna go off on a slightly different tangent because that was the subject of our convention at the end uh. of September. Yeah, you mentioned. And because um, the, the RIS doesn't, it doesn't have a really a very clear set of values and values are, are really kind of a important thing for somebody who comes from an employee ownership background. They kind of everything for us, we use them to measure everything we do. And we have to find ways of taking value and find it into something measurable as, as what Jeff kind of suggested there. And so the way we set up our convention was I, I interestingly enough I ended up having a conversation with the New Zealand um, Architectural uh, uh, Society, who are really interesting, a brilliant um, um, uh, document they kind of put together. They kind of sent us and it, and they they set up their 
they've been looking at values a lot and they set up what they call their four poo, which is P-O-U-S, which is a Maori word. And it means corner posts. So they have their four corner posts um, and they were very similar to some of the subjects that we were considering ourselves. So we sort of like took their four corner posts and they were the four subjects or the that we had at the convention in the end of September. And, and they, I've written down that they were, there was people, environment, culture, and design. They were the four poo which they have, which are very, very kind of similar to the, the kind of subjects that we had. And there was a lot of similarity between Maori words and Gaelic words we discovered as well. They're kind of a Gaelic word for environment is, I'm not gonna even try to pronounce them. And it's all to do with custodianship of the land and the sea. And they're very similar to, that's what the Maori word was. And, and the Gaelic word was very, very similar as well. So we've kind of like had our kind of convention based around those four values, which are all kind of quite similar to the subjects that you're just talking about. Retrofit fits broadly into that. Um, and um, I, and we had a, we had a, we had a, a workshop after that, which I'm, I'm tasked with actually writing up when we're actually going to set out our kind of like our, our values. So it was very, very precise and we can start to measure ourselves against them. Um, but um, so we actually are in the process of setting, re recalibrating our values, but we're, we're where we are basing them around those, those kind of four cornerstones. I think sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go on, Chris. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was also going to say that there's, this, this is a huge debate in, in we have like a sustainable working group and we also have a conservation group. And this is something and usually it's around the subject of carbon, but we have huge discussions about embodied carbon because um, the, the conservation group, you know, they, they just think our sustainable working group are going to come along and ask to cover their historic building external wall insulation right so, yeah. so you're referring to uh, conservation in terms of built heritage rather than biodiversity yes yeah. yeah, sorry yes that's that's our conservation it's more to do with listed buildings and and, and the like but but they, but, but they, they they're very much into and they have a huge expertise um about um you know retrofit how to look after buildings so so obviously how you bring together these two ideas and how we start to interfit or, or passive house design existing buildings but still yeah. retain stone facades and, and and the like is become a subject that we're all pursuing together here it's interesting because I mean, we have um we've in the past published some examples of buildings uh you know listed buildings regency buildings and so on that have been retrofitted to not even interfit but full-on passive house levels um uh without uh, affecting the external appearance, I'm kind of torn on it, frankly. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, because even internally, you will, you will have, uh, you know, obviously cornicing and so on. You know, and this, the, the kind of character of of the building. Uh, I understand the value of that, um, and I think this is why this is why I'm really drawn to the idea of a kind of a spectrum of retrofit solutions. Uh, and I think, I think in that regard, the the, the I would look at Enerfit, the AECB's retrofit standards, which are using the same engine, same software, PHP, and the same principles, um, but with more moderate targets. And they've they've two levels of retrofit standards now, taking account with a new one that's just been soft launched, which deals with cases where there's limited scope for fabric interventions. You know. And I think that's 
interesting, you know, and it's not, it's not an all or nothing approach. It's kind of a, an approach where you, where you look what's appropriate for the building, depending on the situation you're dealing with, you know? Yeah, it's very, it, 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 it is, it's, it's something I need to learn more about and uh, past 2035 and understand kind of more process driven approaches to um, um, retrofit, whereas our parts are still working, they're very much about the metrics of of carbon and things like this, but but yeah, so somehow bringing the two together is. The, I think is, you can, yeah, I absolutely think you can, and I'm, and metrics, I think, are they're, they're they're essential to this. I'm interested as well, Chris, to know um, uh, how how do you? I mean, you have a code on sustainability. You said within the RIS, that's fantastic. But how do you deal with the situation? I mean, uh, how clearly can you define in the context of your members, for instance, and and in how your members communicate uh, what they do and who they are. How can you uh, try to ensure that there's there's some, or and this is probably an unworkable idea, I don't know, but that there's some, some degree of clarity and consistency in their conceptions of sustainability. I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I don't want to be unkind, and I'm not talking Scottish architects here, but I can, I can think of, you know, many days in the past trawling for projects on the architect's website, uh, websites and looking for, uh, finding a sustainability section and you look at you click on the project and it's a beautiful looking project and, the, and 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 when you look at what the information is on sustainability they'll say we use concrete exposed concrete which is you know thermally massive and organic paints you think really <laughs> is that it you know yeah well how do we how do we kind of like well we'll have the code so we're going to actually like promote that a lot and there'll be a lot in that there another thing we've been thinking about i don't know if this this helps answer your question a bit, but 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 uh, sometimes yeah we're driven a bit by our clients. It's, it's it's a different subject maybe than than um people's perception of what sustainability is. I think I think people's perception of what the circular economy is is slightly different to what the actually it actually really is. You know, in in terms of it's just actually about making things last. Really, you know, and, and um, but we are thinking putting together a client handbook is something we've been talking about that actually might help because um, that's that's the, that that's what we find that the biggest input is it's not perhaps ourselves but it's the policymakers and and the brief writers and how do we influence them so we're trying to think a lot about how we go about that and and but I, I would completely agree by the way in terms of like you know this it's it's is um, um very minimal amounts of what people convey as being sustainable is all this is is perhaps advertised as being very green um by by architects so we have to like find ways of informing this a lot it's a lot deeper deeper than than just um as you say using organic paints or whatever well like an ex i mean a, a plug a plug here for letty for the um client emergency design guide um which is really you know an a, an excellent starting place for you know getting that under the noses of people who are procuring buildings and to understand the, the whole picture and, and what we mean and that it isn't as you say Jeff the kind of well we use some organic paint so we're good here um so I think that I could highly recommend to to reference I'm sure you're aware of it anyway but yeah I think I think we were gonna when we were thinking of what we do, I don't. I don't think we'd be like rewriting anything. I think it just maybe signpost a few a few things. Exactly. Yeah. So we would signpost like these uh, guides, um, um, which we're kind of aware of. So we'd just be collecting these together and just pointing these out to. Yeah. Students. And it's the same with um, all um, aspects. I mean, in, there's so many in London. 
I mean, I know Lightly doesn't like the Conservatives of London. Is it slightly? Is it changes? What is what is? Uh, it, I think there's plans to just change that L. That doesn't mean London anymore. Because I think, I mean, again, they were like another organisation where getting active, getting going, based in London to start with. Lockdown hits, everything goes virtual, and suddenly their reach is massively expanded in terms of who is contributing to the work as well. But also, they recognise that in it's such good quality input because of the way that it's organised. A little bit like the way you're talking about organising your forum, being that kind of like open space to get involved if you are motivated to, um, and everybody is motivated. There's such a drive, there's such goodwill within the industry to really push best practice support out as far as we can to those that are procuring the buildings um so yeah i think you know the yeah. l the, the london and that's that's kind of why i hesitated to actually go and not say letty but like <laughs> london energy transformation transformation initiative god i'm struggling with my words today um but yeah it's definitely there as a as a broader reach as a wider support yeah, no, I can I, I can see where they're coming from. It reminds me of um my, my favorite movie, I suppose, is a movie called With Nell and I. Um, <laughs> and there's a scene in it where these two, you know, uh, uh, misbehaving kind of struggling actors from London um, are chasing a farmer across the fields to try and beg him for for fuel uh, for for their freezing cottage that they're staying with staying in in Penrith. Um, and they keep on repeating to him, apologetically, we're not from London. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess Letty, it, it served them well to begin with. But they, but, but in terms of broader regional uptake, it probably, yeah, good idea to move on, you know. Yeah. But they're an amazing organization and doing amazing work, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, well aware of all those. But, yeah, I mean, I suppose that, I mean, I, I'm trying to think what else I could, we could talk about in terms of um, the... RIS. I, I, I have things to throw at you for sure. I mean, uh, so it's if you don't mind. I actually thought that was the moment where Chris was politely saying, okay, I've talked at you a lot enough. Yeah. Can I have my day back, please? And no. <laughs> Jeff's like, no. Where were you on the night of the murder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Maybe it's... one more question then, Jeff. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, great. So I, I, I gather the RAS is your role is not to be the sustainability police for your members, clearly, and that's fair enough. You know, um, um, it's more to kind of guide them and 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 support them and bring them in the right direction and, and show the progress that's being made in architecture in Scotland from a sustainability perspective, which sounds fantastic. Um, I'm really interested in the post occupancy area, and I know it's a can of worms, right? Um, because of all the liability, you know, you cut and run you, and, and put your fingers in your ears and hopefully you don't find anything out about, about, about how horribly things went. Um, but um, there's been some uh, movement, uh, I don't, I'm not exactly sure where it's at now, within uh, the RIBA and also just within the RIA, I've been pushing as well recently to get post to get kind of post-occupancy included within the stages um and to get more 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 efforts focus on this to what extent is our RIS looking at this and trying to ensure that architects learn lessons from from their from their projects to, you know and from the experience the users have of those buildings and, and have that inform what they do go, uh, going forward um it's something you know it's stage seven now is obviously the um and stage stage seven is RIBA stage seven is meant to inform stage zero. Um, yeah, it's really it's really 
important that we kind of learn and, and revisit buildings. And we're trying to do that here is revisit and go back and speak to people and see things that have kind of gone wrong, what, what the RIS doing about it. Um, that is that is a subject that we've talked about, but we need to find ways of actually um, achieving it. I mean, one of the big, every time we talk about it, and this is this is not, it's a bad excuse, but it's, it's, a, it's a bad thing to say. It's just that architects, they always seem to like, somehow don't seem to plan their fee that great. And so they come mm. to the project and there's nothing left for them to actually carry out that kind of stage seven post-occupancy evaluation. So I think that's where we've got to have a look at it. So people do hold back um, uh, some money or, or find ways that that money's held back and they actually then um, actually are able to carry out some sort of post-occupancy evaluation. I also then wonder about how you know, it's, it's it's we've thought about it, but it's actually like I think there'd be some way of kind of gathering knowledge for people to share would also be a big thing because if you've never, you know, say you've you've never actually um, done a, a certain type of housing housing or a, or a certain type of project or a hospital or a school or whatever it might be, you you won't obviously have that post occupancy evaluation to then build on. So so how how do you kind of use it? I, again, I think the kind of key is 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 that is 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 speaking to clients, and making sure clients build that into into the briefs and build that into the the you know whatever they're giving up to architects to then kind of use. So it's a really difficult one. So it's really kind of slightly chicken and egg. I think architects do have to revisit and go back and look at their work because it's it's um, it's really important. I think. But you mentioned um you know the. You mentioned before this the, the client guide and, and signposting to that information as well and and sort of wanting the clients to be aware of the need of it. And, and that's really important, isn't it? Because actually any client, when they realise what that value is of having that, you know, am I getting what I paid for or am I getting what I procured? Am I getting what we wanted? And is it going to is it going to do what it's supposed to do? That benefits, that benefits everybody. Um it's so you're right it is such a key part of it and again another plug but for Judith Kimpian and Hattie Hartman and Sophie Pelsmaker's book um buildings energy people buildings people energy sorry <laughs> but we'll put that in the in the show notes as well it's an excellent immensely accessible book that makes it so clear about the argument for having that building performance evaluation built in not as a slightly tag on bit at the end like are you going to come and like check out a few bits after the seasons of the cycle of the seasons has passed by like not just that little check but actually something that's built in from the very very beginning of the project and that is a natural part of the the process like you're saying Chris it's like part of the whole plan of work yeah we're both sitting here doing this circular motion with our hand like it's part of this (laughs) Should, should it not be an essential part of the awards, for instance, the architecture awards, you know? Mm, yeah. I mean, right. the, the Passive House Trust a few years ago with their awards very, very laudably um, put in place a requirement that um, a project could not be submitted for a Passive House award unless it had been occupied for uh, a couple of years or so, you know, um, mm. um, and, with, and, and reporting post-occupancy data. So that kind of thinking. I think, I think, I think you're completely agree. I think it's just the kind of um the, the what the situation as I kind of see it Jeff is it's like completely agree with you. We've got to go back, we've got to speak to people who occupy the buildings and, and I don't think it really matters 
if, um, if if you're actually then working on a different kind of project type after that, it's just that experience of actually speaking to somebody who's actually in a building that you designed. It's kind of mad that you don't want to do that because it's like kind of it's just such a actually you build this building, you want to see it occupied, you want to see how people are using it, has it worked, and everything. So even just that experience of actually like speaking to people who are actually in a building that you've designed and whether or not you're designing something different in at that point it doesn't really matter it's just it's just the humanity of it and just the actually then the, the having that kind of perception of of people are actually in something that you've done it must really bring it home but and 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 i have to hold hands up and just say like it's something we're really not good at really not good at at all and but you know that's interesting what you said about the awards and what we mentioned earlier about the culture of the kind of shiny new thing as the architects because you know, everybody loves a, a beautifully photographed building entirely devoid of humans using it. <laughs> That's what you used to see. In, they're a blur. In a, they're usually just a blur yeah. a bit from the time lapse. Yeah. <laughs> but, but actually, there's something in that, isn't there, as well, about the awards, you know, just this like the shiny new building that nobody has really touched yet and the paint hasn't been scuffed. And that's what we want to see. But imagine, imagine that all the awards were and the buildings that were built five years ago. Now you're ready for awards. Let's see how you got on. Like, or, you know, it's it's a real cultural shift, like focus. I, I mean, the ones I do go back and visit, I get so much joy, like from when I see how people maybe have taken spaces over and how they've maybe used them. Um, I used to be a big kind of Herman Herzberger kind of fan and just watching how people occupy buildings and they can maybe make changes and there's slightly flexible spaces within it. And and I think that, that that's really fantastic because actually the, other, the opposite is of you go along and you see how people start to use things bad and I'm afraid it's a bit glass buildings comes to mind and you just see furniture backed up onto yeah. whatever. And um, so I think it's really, really important. But it, it and and again, I'm just doing the same thing again. And we really have to do something about it. So maybe if I've got one takeaway from, from this is I have to tackle, we have to tackle post-occupancy evaluation a lot more seriously. And and um and it, sometimes we go back and visit buildings, but it's more like actually see how they're weathering. Um, mm. To see how like are they staining, are they are they, are they yeah. that kind of thing? But they actually to see how people have occupied buildings, I think really. But that's that's right, isn't it? Because when you also think about the weathering, you mentioned that, Chris, because you know you go around and you see so many places of really inappropriate like specification design and installation of say timber cladding, um, or materials that are just not sturdy enough to be at street level, and they look a mess. They look an absolute mess, or. Um, certain maybe you know self-colored render panels and the cracking and the weathering of them it just look appalling and what that then does is have a really detrimental impact on the street scene on how it feels to be in those places and and how they might be abused and and it's really it's it's um it's a lack of care which is you know you mentioned that earlier on as well like we're We've got a public duty here as well around like the impact of these buildings on this on the spaces well, that they are. Well, I think, I think I think that I think it's so I'm gonna I mean that that after this it's something that again we're having the same conversation is like of course it's really, really important. But I think the empathy was the word I was I was trying to find in my head earlier on. But actually like just going along and speaking to people that are in your buildings and the things that haven't worked and um 
And, and the things that have worked as well is, is just trying to, to actually have a kind of empathetic approach. It, it is amazing, amazing. To, sorry for cutting you off, Chris, but I just want to say it is amazing to hear somebody in a position, uh, you know, as the president of, of, uh, of a, a royal institute, um, you know, for, for architecture, for you know, architecture Scotland, you know, incorporation of architecture Scotland, um, an organization like that talking in these kinds of terms it is so unusual to me to, to hear this like th- there's a sense this is not a kind of a top-down sense that you, you know you know that you have you're an unimpeachable authority who has all of the answers you know you you because none of us do to be honest you know um we're all learning and it's only through collaborating and being open to recognizing uh where we have blind spots and where we need to progress that will that will achieve anything so i just i'm Thrilled to hear you talking about this. It's amazing, you know. Right, Kennedy, and I'll, I'll promise I'll take the, the way that this the, the post occupancy evaluation question and try and find ways that we can tackle it better because it just it's something we always say it's a great idea, but we just never seem to find ways of doing it. I think, and um, and somebody always says, and I did it myself, is that we don't have we don't have the the fees always run out at that point, and, and it's, it's 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 not it's not the right answer really so i will go away with that jeff and try and think empathetic architecture it sounds like maybe invented a movement here <laughs> quite interesting i like it i'm here for it <laughs> quite good doesn't it yeah i think but no that it's we again we think we all think it's a great idea but we never seem to find time to do it so we need to uh, that because that's the bit around the, the culture shift and i think though hearing about what you're trying to do and the work that you're building upon, particularly around the engagement with the members and listening, listening, you know, you've been doing a big job of listening of late and that's really important to like push that back into, you know, it's this, this reciprocal relationship that you're developing. So um, yeah. I'm glad to hear about that. And I think we'd love to hear more about it in, you know, six, 12 months time and see how is that progressing and, did, did you manage to get your what was it the privy council to actually do the thing it needs to do <laughs> I, think, I think that i think that's just a rubber stamp we're kind of hoping I, i'm not quite sure what that is but it but it's just something <laughs> the royal charter that's amazing i would say one little thing I, I'm, I'm not going to go over anymore but one with the last little thing which is that i think on post-occupancy evaluation there's good reason why people might have been quite scared about it in the past um because yeah. we didn't know how well our buildings were going to perform. You know, uh, we have a long track record of buildings failing to perform well based on what, the, you know, people from a design perspective and contractors from a, starting from a, a lower perspective in terms of their, their competencies, mm. not knowing how to build buildings that will work very well in terms of sustainability, in terms of energy performance, comfort, and so on. Actually, we've learned a lot. Um, mm. And uh, the kinds of decisions that are being taken a lot of the time in, in, in notionally low energy buildings when you subject them to scrutiny, they do end up working a lot of the time very, very well. So in other words, what I'm getting at is that we're not, we're in a position now where we don't have to be scared of the answers as much anymore because they're likely to be a lot better than they would have been in the past. Well, they're, they're informed now because we're, you know, if, if, it's, if it's the circular approach, if you're building this in from the beginning and you know that you're modeling it and you know that you're going to have methods of, of checking that as you go, an outcome then you're kind of demystifying the process it's not just like oh <laughs> let's hope this works <laughs> and step yeah. away while it doesn't but it's um it's a, right level of, yeah. a level of accountability as well i think which is quite mm. absolutely you've got to go and speak to the people who occupy your building so it's like 
um, it makes you work a little bit harder. I think then you know that you can have to do that. I think so. That's so empathetic architecture. That's the way forward. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Chris, thank you very much um, for spending so much time with us and talking to us and really excited to see how this continues to progress. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much. Absolute pleasure. And I'll come back in a year and we can tell you how it's going, if you like. Brilliant. Maybe we can Absolutely. meet again. Maybe we can meet again in Shetland. We'll go to the lounge again and have a pint, play the fiddle. Yeah, <laughs> see how it goes. That was great. And we and somehow we ended up drinking Irish whiskey. I can't believe it. We're all got <laughs> me into drinking Irish whiskey. I remember it well. What are we doing? Sorry, Shetland. We'll do better next time. <laughs>